0: Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Charlene Gorzella here, your host for Grief Recovery Now podcast. So happy you're with us today. I am in extreme gratitude every show that I ever do with you. I'm so grateful for the listeners. That is you and also the guests that have come into my life that I have invited on this Brief Recovery Now podcast. I call it it's by divine appointment, and that we all meet for a reason. And one of the joys in my life is to be able to go through my travels in life, whether in Chicago, LA, going to the grocery stores or whatever. But I was in Nashville in May and I happened to come across a beautiful woman who shared, who was speaking at this a spiritual center. And I just loved her. I loved her message. I loved who she was. And I just get so full when I meet people with a huge purpose in life. It could be small or big, whatever it is. I, I don't you know, think of size of uh, people's purpose as better because it's bigger or not so good because it's smaller and everything in between. But she shows up in life in so much courage that I had to have her on the show. I talked to her afterwards, told her about my podcast. We have some things in in common, which is also a beautiful thing. And I knew she'd be great for this Grief Recovery Now podcast. And I get to share her with all of you. As a lot of you know, I just talk a little bit about my life or grief recovery work that I do and the insights I get or world events what's happening today and this is a come as you are podcast if you're grieving i honor that i don't care if it's grief from long ago current grief grief that you're anticipating or any kind of loss trauma or ptsd or because you just have an interest in it that you've never really delved into before or just something says what listen to this podcast Come as you are, please share it with others of people you may know who may be going through the grief process right now, and they need some help. And I believe grief is meant to be shared. I'm not saying that you need to be alone all the time, even though being alone sometimes is a very sacred time, but don't go, please I ask you, don't go down the rabbit hole by yourself for too long. Reach out, even if it seems like picking up the phone, writing a text, going on Google to listen to other grievers that are walking through this with you. So thank you for being here. Today, I'd like to talk to you about grief and its sacredness, and that grief is a sacred part of life. I was talking to Esther before this, Esther Nicholson, who was our guest today, that we are taught how to get. We are not taught how to lose. I guess I can speak for myself. I was taught how to get, how to get the bigger, better, Give me, give me, give me. My grandfather used to say, Give me what you don't have, what you have, just give it to me. And I don't, he said it so cutely. Like, I don't remember the whole words, but you know, it was like, Give me. And I know as a, a small child being in a grocery store, Mom, get me this, Mom, get me that. It was like, I don't know if it was our society or whatever. We want to get, get, get. At least I did. And in my own recovery in life, I realized I just wanted to fill, fill myself. Instead of feeling feeling full, I was filling. So, and then when I lost something, it was somewhat devastating. It was a sadness or maybe just a loss I didn't know how to handle. So I just left it aside. And so the sacredness of grief and its importance in our life, it's not a good or bad thing. It's a part of the circle of life. Losing has gains and it also has some pain that goes with it. As I said before, it's not a good or bad thing. It's just an is thing. It's life. I used to avoid legitimate pain of life because I wanted to just have fun. I don't know. I didn't go to that chapter that life has its ups and downs. And the downs sometimes could be our most important learning experiences and our breakthroughs. My goal is to go from heartbreak to heart breakthrough. I don't care if it's a small heartbreak or a big heartbreak. And this is not comparing what is worse or what is less. It just is. My goal is to give permission for you to be, come from your head to your heart, and again to go from heartbreak to heart breakthrough. That's what I think our guest had through all her chapters in life. I just love that I have someone like her today. So I just thought I'd tell you a little, you know, talk to you a little bit about the sacredness of grief. And before I go to Esther. I want to bring up a current topic that's going on or not topic, but a a tragedy that has happened in our world and in the United States and Florida where the building collapsed. I don't know how old you are, whether you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s or you're a teenager or a young adult. It's like I know myself, I've never heard of a building just collapsing on people because of a, a horrible infrastructure or deteriorating building happening. The only time I knew about that was September 11th and that was planned. And this thing that's happened to Florida, it's devastating, it's overwhelming. It's its a feeling of oddness, like not awedness of like, I'm so in awe of you in such a positive way, There's an awesomeness of, in the most tragic sense of the word, and people are grieving. Something happened that quick, people's worlds are totally turned inside out and right side up, and they're not even on the right side up yet. They are in disbelief. They are in extreme grief, extreme trauma, extreme uncertainty. There's no certainty going on when you have a family member who's missing. I remember there's a family that had five people in that building. For certain, they're in trauma and grief or total numbness. I know I am grieving for them. And I just can't imagine the emotions that go through it. I just want to witness that. I mean, there's a part of me like, oh my God, I'm happy no one I know is on there. But in the oneness of all life, I am with the people who are grieving I am with these souls that when you least expected, or who are still buried in the building, still alive, trapped. Can we even imagine it? That is the unfathomable, but that is also living life on its terms and the awesomeness of the tragedy of what is going on. I hope no one has to go through that. And my heart goes with all who have. So this is what I wanted to talk about today in the sacredness of grief and whatever you're feeling about it, just be with it. Not who's wrong, who's right. Be in your heart about the loss. Even if you have to, I know what helps me is if I just send them beautiful, loving light, I donate if I have to, or whatever it is. Or maybe you did have a trauma or tragedy that you were affected by. It brings up old memories. doesn't have to be a building falling down, but something unexpected and unfathomable happened. Please honor that. So right now, I'd like to honor our guest today. Every guest I have on here is sacred. That's what I want to bring to you. Whether it is a funny podcast, whether it's a serious one, I I always have a mixed uh, feelings of emotions that go through the podcast on grief recovery now. I want you to understand the fullness of the grief you may be going through and honor that. And again, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It is an is thing and it's to be honored. And I honor your grief or wherever you are. So Esther Nicholson, recovery coach, author, speaker, recording artist. Walking back from the crack dealer's house was always the hard part. With her seven-year-old in tow, no promise of never again she could convince. Even seven-year-olds know better than that. Fast forward to another life and a higher purpose. Walking off the stage at Madison Square Garden after singing with Rod Stewart, Bette Midler, Beyonce, or Barbara Streisand, and having her life story featured on the Oprah Winfrey Network own. Esther Nicholson, daughter of a Baptist minister, renowned vocalist, former addict, teacher, and the author of Soul Recovery, 12 Keys to Healing Dependence, finally realized that her healing called her to, a mission worth living for. Soul Recovery, the process that Esther Nicholson developed to heal herself of a life threatening addiction, unifies the 12 steps of recovery with universally accepted spiritual practices and has guided thousands to their recovery and higher purpose. In keynote speeches, retreats, workshops, staff trainings, and more, Esther shares the stories, inspirations, and lessons learned that led to her transforming journey from addiction and domestic violence to healing, serenity, and success. And her grief recovery is included in that, of course. So please help me welcome Esther Nicholson. Thank you, Esther, for being here today. Awesome to be here. Thank you for having me, my friend. Oh, my total honor. I love my new friend who I will get to know even more during our podcast. So Esther, as we talked before, the structure here is what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. I know personally you've gone through it. So I'd like to touch on that. And how did you deal with grief and grief recovery? But I love stories. So I would like to hear a, a little bit of how you'd like to share about yourself.
1: Well, my first experience of grief was when my dad died, when I was 16 years old and five months pregnant. My dad, as you shared, was a Baptist minister. He was also and is still the love of my life, great dad. And we were very, very close. And when I got pregnant at 16 years old, I had a lot of shame around that, around the church folks and all of that kind of stuff. So there was the grieving of that, the grieving of what I thought my life was going to be before I got pregnant. And then this unexpected death of my father, which was, I can't describe the feelings of loss that I experienced at, at that time, actually for many, many, many years after that. And I didn't know anything about grief recovery. Then I didn't know how to help myself. I, I became a drug addict and I hit my bottom with uh, crack cocaine and drugs and alcohol and relationships and all that kind of stuff. And and I had to dive deeply into the spiritual aspect of of the 12 steps of recovery. And when I had my first spiritual experience, it awakened me to a reality that we've always known because we are that reality, but that I I hadn't connected to probably in eons. And it changed me forever. And so it started my healing process. It started my, my grief recovery process, even though I wasn't specifically focused on recovering from grief. I was focused on recovering from crack cocaine. I didn't know that my recovery process was also recovering and rediscovering parts of me that had scar tissue that, that was so buried deep down, deep down inside of me. So I started to Awaken and started to recover that. And then there were just so many years, like it took 20 years for me to really have this breakthrough about my father, like 20 years after he made his transition. And again, like I said, I grieved my independence. I grieved being a single woman. I grieved being a woman who didn't have the responsibility of having a child at the age that I had. And then there was a lot of guilt around that. And there was grief around that. So like you said earlier, grief has so many different layers and so many different, there's so many different facets to, to grief. And, and I remember one day I was doing one of the processes that I do facilitate in soul recovery about my father. Like for, for some reason, something had come up and I was really triggered and There's this process called Sedona method, and it's one of the methods that saved my life, and I started using it on my grief for my father. And one of the questions that's asked in the Sedona method is, if you could release this grief, would you? If you could, not saying that you can, but if you could release this grief, would you? And I sobbed and I sobbed and I said, no, 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 no. I must've said no, like 30 times. And then the question was, if I could release the resistance to releasing the grief, would I? And the more I did that, the more I did that, I finally got to a yes, I'll release the grief. And then I realized that the reason I had been so resistant to releasing the grief and the pain was because on a subconscious level, I thought that holding on to the grief kept me connected to my father. When in actuality, it disconnected me from my father. And when I said yes, I'll release the grief and just a whole wall of resistance and pain and trauma fell away from me. I've been connected to my father in a way that is just indescribable. And so as I continue on my journey of releasing grief and and you, you, you spoke about the word loss. And of course, when you first feel that impact of something appearing, to be snatched away from you that you've been, that you're attached to, that you don't know yourself in this world without it. Of course, it feels like loss. But a part of my work and a part of your work as well is understanding that what feels, what it feels like and what it appears to be is really not what it is. So at this point in my life, looking at translating that word loss into transition. when a person, Leads our life by a death or what appears as death and what we call death. It looks like death. It looks like loss. And, and we need to, I did allow myself to be in that space because there's no schedule for grief or mourning. So to allow myself to be in that place. But what actually when the shift started happening was when I realized, oh, when this person leaves, I'm transitioning too. When one person transitions, everyone transitions, right? And that it is indeed a transition, that it's not a loss. And so it's at some point on the journey, not immediately, because it feels like loss. It feels like something has been snatched away from your entire beingness. So you might have to hang out with that for a moment. But I I believe what starts the ship is, is, is when you can replace not only the word loss, but the energy of loss with this formless allness is transforming into, is taking form as something else, but it's the, st- it's the same energy. And I don't think you and I spoke in depth about my level of grief, but being the youngest out of eight children, I've lost every single one of my brothers and sisters, my biological brothers and sisters. And it takes, what, about two years to even start unnumbing yourself about a loss, And so when you have one on top of another, on top of another, talk about trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder. And I just know that what has supported me in being where I am today, and there are days when I still feel it. There are days when it still feels surreal or like, did that really happen? Yeah. But there is this knowingness within me and there's this connection that I have with them that is so beyond my human understanding that erases the energy of loss and replaces it with wow we we are indeed still one and they're here and I'm
0: there. It goes beyond the physical. Yeah. The relationship. Did you is that how you felt? Absolutely. Well I I was by the time
1: my brothers and sisters made their transitions, I was pretty deep into my my spiritual Practice and my connection to the divine. That doesn't mean anything when you're on the floor in the fetal position, and but it does mean something because it's sacred when you're on the floor in the in the fetal position. It's all a part of the unfoldment and 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 all of that. I, for, I just lost my train of thought. I
0: just had a menopause moment, y'all. What was I gonna oh. say? <laughs> Well, thank you. Be Come as you are. That's what the podcast is. We have a little, you know, menopause in our brain that happens. And when you, with your brothers and sisters, did you ever go through like some of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas with you? Did you ever work with some of that? Like, I wish I would have been better sister. I wish I didn't tell them, you know, my sisters and I would go, God, we'll argue. And then because we lost two parents very quickly Throughout the years, it's been decades, we always go, F you, we're arguing, and then we'll go, okay, love you, bye. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever, do you remember a time with your brother or sister, or a, or a personal experience where you regretted something, or I wish I didn't say that, or I wish I did say this? Um, there are times when I wished that
1: I could have been more present with them in their pain, instead of looking at their pain as a pain in my ass looking at their pain as, oh, wow, you know, what can I do to to help you? Or what can I say? Or how can I touch you right now? How can I just rub your head right now? How can I just look into your eyes right now and let you know that I see you and I get you, even though you're totally screwing up right now, right? So there are times that I have felt that, but to really be uh, transparent about this next level of my experience, it's like, I know that they get that. And it's like, we're so in love right now that nothing happened. I get that nothing happened even when I thought it did. That all of these bad negative things or these arguments or this negativity that might've been going on in our relationship, I, I so get now that it didn't happen. And that the place that they're in and the place that I'm in most of the time when I can make that connection is, oh wow, it's just, it's just such love. And, and it's almost like, oh, isn't that silly You know, kind of thing. But there is a process for feeling regret and feeling guilt and feeling shame about how you might have treated someone, or you know your last experience with them. And, and instead of doing a spiritual bypass, we have to acknowledge that, and we have to look at that as sacred. We have to look at
0: that as a part of the unfolding, and um, all of that is all a part of it. Thank you. And the spiritual bypass, because I've heard it. Not everyone knows what a spiritual bypass is. And if you've never heard of it, Esther, would you explain a little bit about that? And I can give my point of view on that too, or my experience with it, because it's ever evolving Right in my own life.
1: Yeah, A spiritual bypass is not acknowledging where you are in the moment. If you're having an emotional breakdown right now, if you've been totally triggered by something right now, if your heart is broken right now. To not try to get to the positive affirmation and try to get to the other side immediately so that you don't feel the pain. Now, there is the possibility of taking a quantum leap out of the experience into all is well. There is that, and that is possible. And there are people that are at a place where they can do that. But most of us spiritual beings having a human experience, we're in the experience, and if we can allow ourselves to feel, feel the fullness of the experience and process through it until we get to the vibration of the affirmation. Then we line up with the affirmation spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And the affirmation doesn't come crashing down because we didn't do
0: the work that was behind that or underneath that. Right. So that the affirmation is, is very surfacey. You got to get deep down of an yeah. understanding of it and what's in back of it. Yeah, perfect. I love your uh, definition of it and your explanation of it. I think about things that I walk this underlying unconscious regret, not being enough, not showing up, being irresponsible, especially when in my younger years, when I was in my using years. And, and even now in life, I have to face it. I do inventories, which is part of the 12th step to look, where was I self-righteous? And that's a drug in itself. I don't use drugs or alcohol or anything, but I know one of my things, not as much as it used to be, but my self-righteousness, even in politics, even in a disagreement with someone. I just want to be self-righteous. It's funny when I get quiet and just a tip for people at the end of the day, or even during the day, just review your day. And I remember getting the energy of self-righteousness and the hangover after that. And then, because I knew something was in, it was not in congruency. And I thought I went back to the very beginning. It's like, what is my part? I was like, you know what? I started this problem or situation I had, or this self-righteousness, like I'm so right. Well, I put myself in a position to start, how can I say? I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but I set myself up for most of my uncomfortableness or most of my problems, whether it be in a relationship, Uh like I knew early on, and maybe an old relationship, whether it be friendship, boyfriends, love relationships, or sisters and brothers and parents, Uh where I started the problem where I knew that something was not up. I was lied to by a boyfriend, but I stayed with them. Mm -hmm. And then there's continual lying going on. I'm not saying I didn't have a lot of liars in my relationship, but what I've experienced with other people when they've talked to me, I go, when did you know that this guy you've been with for 10 years and had so much stress and strife, when did you know? Oh, at the beginning of the relationship when he lied to me. Uh And I knew something then. And so instead of bashing him for 10 years for being such a horrible human being, powerless over the other person, your only power is within yourself. It's like, oh, you know, I, I did, I did show up when I knew deep inside that it wasn't the right relationship. So when you're outside of yourself blaming, you can never go forward. You've got to go within, especially in the grief space. It's like, you have to go through the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. So you have a deeper understanding about yourself. I know myself when I was selfish, when I did do the white lies or avoiding things. So do you understand what
1: I mean? doing a doing a daily inventory or doing a fourth step on everything you know that you are holding resentment toward even someone that you're grieving is is imperative i think to your awakening and to grief recovery how i look at recovery is not not recovering from grief but the recovery and rediscovery of your soul the recovery and rediscovery of reality as it really is and then the grief dissipates into love and wholeness and 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 your peace of mind. And so doing a daily inventory and looking at that fourth column, where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and afraid? And it's like, there's so such insidious emotions, right? Self-righteousness doesn't always look like a blatant, you're right and I'm wrong. A self-righteousness could look like you just saying to yourself, oh, I would never do that. Well, you know, that's self-righteousness right there because there's not anything on this planet that on some level or in some lifetime that you probably haven't done or weren't capable of doing, depending on the circumstances, or you can have empathy for a person who's really sick in a way that you might not be able to relate to. So these things that come up in inventory are so important because they're so insidious, they're so sneaky. And when, we can, when we're willing to go that deep, they're revealed and released and it sets us free. Yeah,
0: and you're not this walking anxiety of something that's incomplete. You can't put your finger on it. And it takes practice. You don't get to, it's like going from kindergarten or even preschool. And the more you start doing it, the more easier it yeah. is. Yeah. And the grief process, that's why I say grief recovery now. You could start right now. I don't care if it just happened or it's 10 years, 20 years. You're talking about your father. I have a father thing too. So And then your journey, I know personally, boy, you are like the phoenix that rose. How is it with your daughter? How is that relationship? How did you get through that, like her own grief about losing her mom, gaining her back or whatever? What was that experience for you? Um, It's been so powerful and so amazing because being
1: uh, in recovery and using the spiritual principles of recovery in this relationship and in every area of my life. I've made so many living amends and verbal amends to my daughter and so grateful that I'm on this side of the veil to do it. Like, I know that my mom has made so many amends to me on the other side of the veil, but there's something very powerful about in this now moment, you know, being in this physical experience, making amends to my daughter, letting her know that the way I treated her had nothing to do with her and that she deserved better and that it had absolutely nothing to do with her and how much I love her and and that I'm there for her. And she hasn't had to wonder where I am in the middle of the night or walk from a crack dealer's house with me for 35 years. And that's a huge amends um, in itself. But the first couple of times I made amends to my daughter because it's it's just a content, as we go through layers and layers and she had a meltdown about something. And my real amends to her was when I realized But just because I was in recovery and healing doesn't mean that her wounded little girl was healed. Because I thought that making amends to her meant heal now. I made amends to you. But that healed me. It didn't heal her. So then I I had to make a whole other amends, a living amends about being so gentle with her little girl that I was responsible for wounding without going into the guilt about it. You know, there's a difference between compassion and accountability versus,
0: you know, acting out of guilt. I love that compassionate compatibility. That is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And let's talk your professional life. Mm -hmm. How did this all happen? You started teaching. You came from singing backup, being on in Madison Square Garden, and how did you get there? How did you become this thought leader and this beautiful servant in the world and serving others? One of the ways I used escapism
1: when I was a, a little girl. I was bullied horribly in school, and my father was a love of my life, and my mother was my abuser. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the ways that I used escapism is I would just go away and see myself on stage. At I didn't know that it was Madison Square Garden. I'd be in the backyard uh, with my hairbrush, singing to the trees, and just I would I was just gone, you know. And I didn't know, you know, until many years later that I was uh, I was I was visualizing and I was creating what my life, uh, a part of what my, a part of what my life is going to be. And then I went through the drug route and all of that kind of stuff. And I started working the steps and I had an amazing spiritual experience. And then I got into metaphysical teachings and I started joining those two teachings together. And then I went on the road with uh, Bette Midler and, and Rod Stewart. And that, I tell you, it was from all the visualizing I had done because I didn't have to go audition for them. I didn't have to go do anything. They called me. Someone heard me sing at church. And that's really how easy it, it can be. And after singing, after being on the road with Rod Stewart for about five years, I was tired of it. You know, I've been on the road with Bette for several years, and I was on the road with Rod for five years. And there was something, the divine impulse within me knew that there was something more for me than to spend the rest of my life singing background vocals for someone. It's a great job and blessings to anyone who's, who's doing that. But there was something else for me. And I was afraid of it because this was a pretty cushy gig. And so what happens is when you become tired of something and you become restless, irritable, and discontent, you're, you've already fired yourself. It's the divine impulse within you that's saying, okay, it's time. It's time to get dressed in consciousness in preparation for this next, for your next. And instead of getting dressed in consciousness in preparation for my vision, I, I tried to hold on to being a background vocalist in someone else's vision. So the universe had to kick me out and fire me. <laughs> yeah. And when I got fired, after six months in the fetal position, blaming Rod Stewart for every problem on, on the planet, I wrote a book. I wrote Soul Recovery. And I started putting these teachings together as a unique Teaching that came through me. I started putting myself out there as a speaker and as a workshop facilitator and as a private coach. And I was a licensed practitioner. I've been a licensed practitioner as well for 25 years. And it just all came together in a way that I never I didn't imagine this as a little girl. That's not one of the things I was standing in the backyard with my hairbrush imagining. And I still get to sing. So God's vision is
0: so, so far beyond your little plan right, when you talk about divine impulse, right, you don't have to be religious, or even have a God, you may have something that's, you know, the nature, the ocean, the I lake, the, the trees, fire, the doorstep, whatever it is, it's not you. Well, how do you how do you think what was going on that you had that opening? How did did you have any kind of preparation, like maybe the pain and, and being in the fetal positions created that opening for you? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think the opening
1: just came from a culmination of the pain, and connecting to to my spirit, connecting to my higher self. Like meditation became a very important part of my life, and I would have these amazing spiritual experiences, and then I would, and then I would get slammed with one of my patterns again. There are so many patterns that we have to deal with way after drug addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'd hit another bottom with one of those patterns. And then I'd do my work again and I would go deeper. And like each layer, each time I go deeper, there's another aspect of me that is revealed. I call it the authentic you, the authentic me. More of me is revealed. The more of the false identity of me that falls away. So my opening happened gradually and you can't rush your opening. Even now I know there's so much more to me than right now and I want it right now, but I, I, I can't rush it. I have to just, I have to trust and I have to be still.
0: Yes. And when I say now grief recovery now, or you say, I want it now. Yeah. It doesn't mean, okay. Right. The second, even though we'd like to do it, it's like we're being prepared. At least I know myself I'm being prepared for that nowness. Like, You singing to your hairbrush to the trees or whatever. Mm -hmm. That is like a manifestation technique that you knew intuitively. Not that you were thinking that's what you want to do, but you were being in this joy to help you live with whatever you were living with. And a, a mother that was neglectful or whatever, however she was with you, how you operated in life and the tools that you use that weren't necessarily the greatest tools that you were taught through family of origin. But the now moment, it's like making a decision to recover. And recover may not even be the word or recovery. It's something that tells your spirit, there is something else beyond what I'm going through. And just knowing that, that's what I get from you. And I've always known it.
1: I've always known it. And even in any moment, Something could happen that could tempt me into believing blah, 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 blah. And it could feel so real. Our stuff feels so real when we're in it in the moment, right? And even then, I'm like, I don't know how this one's going to come out, but I just know that it is. I don't like it. It sucks. It's real. It's real. I'm pissed off.
0: And I just know. And did it help with being in a 12-step group or any kind of peer-to-peer model? We talk about 12-step, but there's other areas of support group oh Absolutely. peer-to-peer Absolutely. and we learn from each other and it gets us to our next greater yet to be in life. That's right. And that's how evolution works. Yep. And I'm so happy you said yes to the, every step you have to take, kicking and screaming or going to it in a dance. When I've taken another step, saying I want to give up, there
1: are times when I've taken that next step, and Spirit within me just carried me to the next step because I'm like I'm I'm tired. I don't want. I'm done. And that's sometimes where the
0: opening happens.
1: That's where the opening happens.
0: I'm done. I'm in this nothingness. I'm done with the past. I don't know what you know. You don't even think about the present. But right now, I'm done. It's something about you. I think there's a part of us that always has that innate ability to do self-care just in our DNA, I think. And thank God you were able to admit, some people won't admit I'm done. They'd rather die of a heart attack or from overworking or being incongruent with their life's purpose. I I think that that's the transparency of my work is to say, I
1: get the, I'm done. Now, if you're about to commit suicide, I'm done. Then we have to have a different conversation to, to get you the help that you need. But when it's like, I'm done, I can't do another thing. I'm done. I don't want to, I don't even want to pray. I don't want anybody to pray for me. Leave me alone. I'm done. I've been there many times on this journey. And I just allowed the doneness to be there. And then the next couple of days I woke again.
0: Awesome. So that's a part of the journey as well. So where are you now? What can you share professionally? What are you doing? I know you have workshops or you have speaking engagements. Are you writing a book? Is anything going on? I know we'll have links in the notes in this podcast. Can you talk a little bit about or share with us where you're at, how you can be of service to others and where they can reach you? Absolutely. So my work is soul recovery, the roadmap home, and
1: all of the processes in soul recovery are designed to recover, rediscover, and reawaken us to our authentic nature of Wholeness, that which has always been there, but which may be covered up by your grief right now, or you're feeling unworthy or not good enough, it might be blocking you from connecting to your true identity. So, soul recovery is about just reawakening to the you that's always been there. And um, to become a part of my, my soul recovery community, please just go to Esther E-S-T-E-R, Mail, E S T E R, mail.com. Where you'll also receive a free video of my tapping video, um, because I incorporate a lot of emotional freedom technique in my um, in my work. So you'll get like a 13 minute tapping video to help you just take some breaths and release what you may be going on, what what may be going on in your life in the moment. That's, that's pretty intense. Gets you to a place of peace. So Esther mail also my book Soul Recovery 12 Keys. To healing dependence all of this you can get the information at esther mail you can get the book information you can get how to reach me for private sessions you can get my calendar for where i'm going to be you can get the free eft tapping video
0: so can you ahead. do it on your own do you have to have someone or you do this yeah. on your own? you can do it on your own that's you great i'm going to check it out yeah well great and anything in the future you you plan on doing well,
1: a lot speaking, you know, a lot of um, spiritual centers and conferences and organizations are opening back up to the public now, more toward the end of the year where they're gonna be more at full capacity than they are right now, is they're still trying to figure things out. So my calendar is starting to get filled more toward the fall and the end of the year and 2022.
0: So if someone would like to contact you to speak at an organization or hire you one-on-one, all the information is in... Yeah, my email address, everything is there at estermail.com. Okay. And then we'll have it in the notes again. I just wanted to repeat that. And also, if you can't find it, contact me. I'd be happy to share with you and um, show you the way to Esther. So Esther, thank you so much for being with us today. And anything new happening in the future, let me know. We'll get you back on there. You've been such a delight and helpful. Thank you, Charlene. It's been
1: wonderful to to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, audience, Charlene's wonderful community for, for having me. I appreciate you. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you, everybody, for being here. And we are on all the podcast platforms apple is one of my favorites so if you'd like please rate review subscribe first and let us know what you think share with your friends and we're here to serve i'm here to serve and so happy to be here we will see you next time peace love harmony you're not alone bye thank you again thank you for joining our grief recovery now journey like what you heard It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts, and we'll keep you posted on our next podcasts. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now, and if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash g r m s forward slash charlene dash gorzella it would be an honor to hear from you